Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. And we thank you, God, for the truth of your word, Father. We, we just appreciate so much that you gave us your word so that we could know what your mind is, what your will is, to know you, Jesus, to know who you are and what you stand for and, and all that is represented in the kingdom of God. And Father, we just pray for your wisdom. We pray for your understanding. Father, open our hearts and our minds, God, to the truth of your word. And Father, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, I want to put out a quick little disclaimer. Um, if you find typos or misspelled words or punctuation, I'm blaming my computer. My computer's got a mind of its own, autocorrect, does stuff that's crazy. Um, so, I, when I was in high school, I'll tell you a quick story. I probably ought not to brag about this, but it is a funny story. When I was in high school, I took a, what they call an, a, they call them now AP classes, um, advanced placement or it's preparation for college, and this was a creative writing class. And so there was only like about six students in the class. And so what the teacher would do is she would assign us a subject or a something, a story to, uh, the, a story topic that we were to, to write about. And then, you know, we'd have so much time, two, three days to write that. And then she would take it. And then the next day, what she did is she had a desk in the back with a chair sitting right next to her desk. And you would come, each student would come sit at the desk while the other students were writing, and she would go over your paper with you and tell you what was right or wrong or all of that. And one day, it was my turn to go back. I had written a story. I, I have no idea, remember what it was. And she says, John, I have good news and bad news for you. And I said, yeah. She goes, well, I'll start with the good news. And I said, okay. And she says, I think you are extremely creative. You you really do have an ability to express yourself. You do very well. She says, but here's the bad news. If you ever turn in a paper like this, again, I will hand it to you back in a paper bag torn apart. And I said, I looked at her, why? She goes, buy a dictionary. She goes, buy a dictionary. Just go get one. She says, apparently you don't know how to spell. And she says, you don't know where punctuation goes. And so I learned at a young age uh, to have my mom, who was very good in all of that, uh, proofread my stuff. You would have thought that I would have kept that discipline, having people proofread things. My wife is extremely good at it, but uh, I just trust the computer. And uh, the computer sometimes lets me down. And so today, I just happen to know there are... Uh, there's a couple typos in there, but then also, uh, apparently, I thought the margins needed to go right to the edge of the page. And so there are some words that are cut off. I apologize for that. If that does become a little bit of an issue, if you can't decipher it, I will definitely fix it and get you a new copy. 
But if not, then I appreciate that as well. So again, I would like to take just a few moments, if I can, and remind you of what we've learned so far. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here simply just to mention this so that we can be sure that we're on the same page. We found out in the first week that the essence of baptism in the Holy Spirit really is power. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about power. It's about equipping us. It's about empowering us to be able to do what God's called us to do, and he has called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Can you say amen? To be his witnesses, to disciple nations, and to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say amen? And so we need, we, we, we on our own cannot do that. We have to have God's help with that. We have to have him working with us. That That is way beyond our ability. Can you say amen? So the Holy Spirit really is for power. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of a promise that really does go all the way back into the Old Testament. We talked about it, the promise of in the book of Joel prophesied that in the last days that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost after he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to preach under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and he said, this what is that. He said, what you're experiencing right now is everything that Joel talked about, and that has not yet stopped. That's still continuing to this day. And we also discovered that the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation and the baptism of the believer in the Holy Spirit are two very different things. They are very different things. They are uh, uh, they have different functions, different purposes, and they are different. They can happen simultaneously, but nonetheless, they are different. We also discovered that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are being spiritually immersed in the Holy Spirit, empowered for His purposes, and given spiritual gifts to help us accomplish those purposes. That's all that's going on. And then Last week, we discovered that Scripture, history, and our own experience bears out that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for today. Can you say amen? amen. Now, what I want to say to you is that the, the important part of that statement, that sentence, is Scripture. There's no doubt that history has some things to tell us. And there's no doubt that our experience has some things to tell us. But the proof of what God is doing is not in our experience or history. The proof of it must be in the Word of God. Can you say amen? We cannot, we cannot, we cannot shortchange the Word of God. The Word of God has to be the foundation. Now, if history and experience bears witness to the Scripture, all the well, that's great. But Scripture is the final word. Can you say amen? amen? Now, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to move on, and we're going to answer yet again another important question, and that is, what is the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And here again is a subject that has been seen, or has, I should say, has seen its fair share of controversy over the years. Um, this is a subject that is hotly debated among Christians, among even Pentecostal Christians. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been this, this, it has fueled this debate for, 
I don't know, hundreds of years, I would imagine, but in more recent times, it has, in the last probably hundred or so years, it has gained some real momentum. And essentially, the debate of the evidence of the Holy Spirit centers around two belief systems. The first is that speaking in tongues is the only evidence for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the second belief is that any manifestation of the Holy Spirit is appropriate evidence. So those are the two main debates. But there is also a up-and-coming third one in more recent years. And this really, to be honest with you, is something that's probably been around, at least in, in my understanding and 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 experience has only been around probably for the last maybe, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years. And that is that there is this increasing push that no evidence is required uh, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I will say, and I want to make this very, very clear, I will say personally, I believe that we must be careful when applying an absolute here when it comes to the evidence. Because a lot of well-meaning Christians have derailed many, many who are seeking the baptism with the Holy Spirit by becoming dogmatic and rigid when it comes to the evidence. Now, please, before you kind of turn me off, let's get through the whole thing. What I'm saying is that we have to be a little bit here open-minded. We have to allow God to be God. Can you say amen? amen. Because in the process, what has happened is these, these people that have gotten really dogmatic is in the process of desiring authentic experiences, they have become what I believe is insensitive to the people they are working with. Because here's what I want to say to you, is that by not allowing things like personality, timing, understanding or instruction or education, or negative spiritual influences, sometimes that can derail an evidence. So what I'm saying is, is that sometimes there can be, somebody can have an encounter with Holy Spirit, but because of conditions that at that moment are at work, like I've seen people, I've I actually seen, I know, I know Harry has probably seen this, I've seen people that I knew standing there, I could feel the presence of Holy Spirit moving on these people. I mean, it's like, wow! But there's no evidence other than that feeling of moving. They don't speak in tongues. They don't do anything. Then time passes. They go away, and within a, you know, a few hours or a day or maybe even right after that service, they'll come back and they'll say, I was really embarrassed to let anything happen. And so they shut the evidence down. And so sometimes what happens is when people get really rigid or dogmatic, they can look at a person like that, and rather than being sensitive to what's going on, they can look at them and go, you don't have it, and blow them completely out of the water. And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to slow down a little bit, and we have to be sensitive to the people that we are working with. Can you say amen to that? 
So I know that these are people that just want to see the authenticity of the Holy Spirit. They, they want to see God move, and they want to see people uh, touched with the real thing, and so they're, they're being very strict to Scripture, which I appreciate that they're following Scripture. But somewhere along the line, there are examples of conditions that doesn't always meet our expectation in Scripture, and we're going to look at a couple of them. Okay, so we need to keep that in mind. Sometimes people are so motivated to see people filled with the Holy Spirit that they claim a baptism when in fact there was none, and these are often the ones that require no evidence. I think either extreme is dangerous. I think that when people... Yet so, see, you know, I, I was praying the other day, and I was praying, this is kind of a little bunny trail. I was praying the other day about religion, and I was asking God about religion, and I felt the Lord ask me a question. I felt like he said to me, John, describe religion in one word. And I, and I really didn't know what to say, but I felt impressed of the Holy Spirit, and so I said out loud in my time of prayer, rigid. See, religion is rigid. Okay, and then immediately God flashed to me the parable or when Jesus was talking about the wineskins. And he's talking about the, the, the old wineskin versus the new wineskin. The old wineskins had become rigid and brittle. New wineskins were pliable and soft. And Jesus said, when the new wine, which could be a reference to Holy Spirit, is poured into the wineskin... When, when it's rigid, and the, because in new wine, there's life. It expands. It's moving. It's kind of alive. There's things happening. There's bacteria in wine that's fermenting and all of this and that process. And so it will expand. And if that rigidity does not, not allow for that expansion or that change, then the wineskin is broken. And the wine and the wineskin are lost. But when we're supple and we're able to go with the flow, bend, and I'm not talking about compromise. Please don't misunderstand. But we're pliable and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We can bend, we can expand and contract when necessary with Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? That's why we got to resist religion. And that's why when we become dogmatic about it's this way and this way only, we, we can make some real mistakes there. I was telling my wife when we were driving into the parking lot, I said, you know, I think sometimes when people say, this is the only way God will do it, God says, oh yeah? Watch this. The only thing that I know that we can safely stand on as an absolute is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything else has some, and when I use this word, I know this is a little dangerous, some negotiation to it, meaning that one size does not fit all in the kingdom because God is a good father. I have three children, and I relate to my children differently. I have principles that I live by. 
There are rules in my home. There are principles of my life, but, and those are mine, and those I keep. But when I relate to my children, I relate to them where it is natural with them. So one size does not fit all. If I treated Andy and Amy the way I treat Jason, they would not enjoy it, and vice versa. If I treated Andy the way I treat Amy, on, on and on. And so God is a good father, and so he allows for expanding and contracting so long as it doesn't violate, what did he say, the spirit of the word. Yeah. Right? The law kills, but the spirit gives life. So are you understanding that? Okay, so what I don't want you to think, and I'll say this very clearly, I'm not saying that we come up with a pretext. A pretext is when you take a text out of context, and it becomes a pretext, and you make it say what you want it to say. I'm saying that we give a little bit of sensitivity to the fact that we are all a little bit different, and we all relate to the Word of God a little differently. Does that make sense? But there are principles that travel through that are able to expand and contract as it's necessary, keeping us in the direction of the Father. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. Your, your responses are making me want to go on here. And so I'm like, do you get that? So I'll, I'll, I'll let that alone. The one thing that we must remember is that the Bible specifically says that the gift of tongues is one of nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and each one of these gifts, including the gift of tongues, are manifestation that, manifestations that God gives as He wills, not as we will. Let's read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8 through 11 in the New American Standard. It says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So what that scripture is talking about is he's talking about these nine gifts that come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is in fact distributing to us those gifts as he wills. Amen? It's not as I will. Okay. So having said that, we need to move on. Okay, so I want to, I want to set... That is the tone for this, and you'll, you'll, you'll see how we do. There are two principles that we must not ignore when we do this study. The first pit principle is the pattern of Scripture, and the second principle is the principle of first mention. You say, well, what is that? The principle of first mention is when anything in the Bible is first mentioned, it tends to establish what is meant, or how the function, or what it looks like, or how it's to operate within the body of Christ or in the kingdom of God. So oftentimes the book of Genesis is often referred to 
as the book of first mentions. Well, the book of Acts, in many ways, is the beginning of the church. Okay? It is the history of the the beginning of the New Testament church. So it's the book of first mention for the church. Can you say amen? amen? So the issue of evidence is extremely important to those who desire the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it makes sense this evening that this supernatural experience would come with its own evidence. It makes sense that it would. It doesn't make sense to me that there would be no evidence because the very nature of the baptism is supernatural. And the supernatural working in the natural, there's always some corresponding visible reality, some proof or some sign, if you were. Signs and wonders are, na- are a natural part of the biblical record. Amen? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 25, he says, Jesus answered them, he says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Then he drops down to verse 37, and he says this, if, you do not, if, if I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works or the things that you see, the signs and wonders, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus is establishing that a lot of the Word of God is proven or validated by signs and wonders. What are signs and wonders? Signs and wonders are this. A sign points to something. Amen. So if there's a sign that says Kingman that way, what is it doing? It's informing you where Kingman is. So a sign points the way to Jesus. That's the, that, is the, that is the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ, to point to him. So that's what signs do. Wonders make you go, hmm, I wonder about that. That's unusual. Paying the temple tax by going fishing and getting a coin out of the first fish you catch makes me wonder. So it's a wonder. It's a sign and wonder. Amen? Then in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, he says, And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. So they were preaching the word of God, and when they preached, there were the corresponding signs that followed them to demonstrate. So we see, once again, this precedent, or we see this this idea in the word of God that there are evidences, or there is proofs, to what is going on. And all through the book of Acts, signs and wonders were seen as a testimony, a confirmation, literally an evidence of the legitimacy of what was being said or experienced. Does that make sense? Okay, so it is no big stretch this evening to believe that something as as important as the baptism with the Holy Spirit would have a sign of comf- or a sign or a confirmation and that and the evidence that it has in fact been received, right? So it's not a big stretch to think, well, there should be a sign. There should be some proof or confirmation that you have this. 
When we look at salvation, do you know there is a sign to salvation? And it's a changed life. Jesus said you know them by their fruit, right? Okay, a changed life. Somebody that gets saved. If, if somebody gets saved and there's no transformation, there's no change, then we tend to go, well, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if you got saved. But something is amiss because there is no transformation because the very nature of salvation is that we change because we get a new nature. We are, we are no longer the old creature, we're a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And now we have the ability to live by a new nature. Not only do we have the ability, but we have the desire. That is the point of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't see that, we, we, we go, well, I'm, I'm not sure. The problem is, is in recent times, in, in, in these modern times, we've gotten really scared to just call it out. Because we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. We don't, want to, we don't want to do that. And I understand. I understand that. And I think we should be very careful because there are people that think that the tenth gift of the Holy Spirit is to call out and be critical. Well, I guarantee you that is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is we oftentimes will pull the reins on people and say, wait a second, before you go off just willy-nilly saying, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved because I'm not seeing it, once again, we instruct people to be sensitive with the people they are working with. And that's, that, that's what we've got to do is to go, wait a second, I need to, I need to, I, I don't know everything I need to know here. So there's a sign for salvation, and so it is no big stretch to understand that there is a sign or a confirmation or evidence that baptism of the Holy Spirit's been received. And this is where, this idea is where we begin to see a pattern of Scripture emerge that leads us to a conclusion so there's a pattern in Scripture that and we're going to look at those Scriptures that leads us to a conclusion. Also, this pattern reveals the principle of first mention. So when we go back to the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and I know some of these verses we've read before, but we're looking at them uh, from a different perspective for a different purpose. It says this in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as, as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We believe the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit, or the ba baptism of the Holy Spirit, is speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance because of this verse. And again, I will say to you, I will caution you, do not become so dogmatic about this that the Holy Spirit is put into a box. These gifts are his gifts, and he distributes them as he wills. However, when we consider Acts 2, we see the evidence of the baptism on the day of Pentecost was, in fact, speaking in tongues, and this is both the beginning of the pattern of Scripture and it is the principle of first mention right here. And it's reasonable 
to expect that what the disciples did when they first were filled, all believers will do when they are first filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense so far? Okay. As one of the primary purposes, listen to this, as one of the primary purposes of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to give power to be a witness, it is not surprising that the sign of this experience is manifested in the words we speak. Think about this. We were empowered to be witnesses, and the sign of that power being there is now we testify of the glory of God through the power of tongues. That's what they were doing when they were speaking in tongues. They, and, and all the people were listening. If you go back and read what was happening in that moment, the people that heard their own language, they were hearing of the goodness and the glory of God and what God had done. They were testifying of the goodness of God. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Jesus told us this would happen in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. He says, now when they bring you to the synagogue and the magistrate and the authorities, don't worry how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is a euphemism or this is a a way of saying the Holy Spirit will give you an utterance. He will help you to speak what you need to say. Now, after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the Bible also talks about people receiving the baptism at a guy by the name of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. In other words, the Jews were sitting there and they were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit is now being poured out upon the Gentiles also. For, listen, notice the wording. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Are you you hearing that? What, what was it? It's important to see how those that came with Peter recognized how these Jews recognized the people had received the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had told them about and how what they themselves had received on the day of Pentecost because they heard them speak with other tongues. The literal translation of that is, for they were hearing them continue to speak with tongues. So this was not just some uh, uh, simple confusion of grunts and groans. It was a full language that convinced them. Are you seeing that? Okay. Any questions at this point? Yes, ma'am. They were speaking in a tongue that they did not no. They were speaking in tongues. And when we, get, when we get to the part where we actually talk about what tongues is and all that, there's a distinction between known tongues, meaning like I speak English, but all of a sudden now I'm speaking Spanish. Or I speak in an unknown tongue, nobody knows it. Okay. The tongues of angels and men. 
is what it is. So we'll talk more about that. Uh, but in this case, they were speaking with tongues. So to, to truthfully answer that to you, I don't know if we could say they were speaking in a language that was already known to men around them, but they didn't know, or they were speaking in an unknown language that no one knew. We know this, they were speaking in something that they had not been taught to do. Yeah, that's a whole nother subject. That's a different, different, yeah, that's a different subject. And so I'll have to answer that one on a different, okay. Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to get off this because I want to make sure that we're staying right on. So when we're talking about tongues, tongues is the evidence, and, and we don't know if it's unknown tongues or if it's tongues of men, but it was not known to them. Okay, does that make sense, Joan? Okay. Okay, uh, so the conclusion that we can draw from this story is if those that were present were convinced that they had the same Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit experience to those on the day of Pentecost, based on the evidence they were speaking with tongues, it stands to reason that tongues is an unmistakable sign or evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit. So far, so good? A third example that specifically mentions that people spoke with other tongues after receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit is found in Acts uh, 19.6. We read that the other day, but I'll read this, just this one verse. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, it's important to understand that this event occurred in the city of Ephesus some 20 to 25 years after the day of Pentecost. And some people argue that the evidence of speaking with other tongues was only given when God was breaking into a new ethnic group, like when he came in uh, uh, you know, with the Gentiles and with the Jews at the Pentecost or the people at the house of Cornelius. But that idea falls apart pretty quickly when we understand in the verse uh, 6 of chapter 19, this story is not a new ethnic group. These are not just new people to this whole thing. They are disciples. That's what it says. Paul coming upon disciples. For they had already received salvation. They had already been baptized in water. And so now they come. Paul comes and confronts them and says, What baptism have you been baptized with? And they said, John's baptism. He says, Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And we go, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We had no idea. So somewhere there was a hole if you will, in their teaching. There was a, a gap that they didn't have. Paul coming on the scene is going to correct this. And he corrects this by laying hands on them. He actually baptizes them again. There's some pretty interesting theories about that. But he baptizes them again, and then he lays hands on them. And the, but the point for our study is that they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, some do not believe that tongues should be considered a primary evidence because the Bible does not always mention tongues in connection with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit is referenced, tongues is not necessarily always there. Now, here's the thing. Although it is true that there are three spirit baptism accounts that say nothing of tongues, I don't believe the omission is due to anything other 
then the likelihood that the people that would be reading about these accounts understood what the evidence was. Now let me see if we can go through those and see, let's not, don't, let's not go by what I think, let's go by what Scripture says. So the most compelling of the three stories that is talked about the baptism, without mentioning the evidence of speaking in tongues, is found in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 19. And I want to read this whole story because I want it to stay in context. It says this, starting in verse 9, Acts 8, verse 9, it says, But there was a certain man called Simon, who, was previously pra- who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was some, someone great to whom they all gave heed from the last to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what's happening. Let me just, I'll stop right there and I'll set this. So Simon is a sorcerer. This dude is practicing witchcraft and he's obviously got his witchcraft honed because he's impressing people. People are seeing things happen. In fact, they're a little bit intimidated with him, and they're a little bit frightened by him because they're even saying from the least to the greatest, this is the power of God. Okay, so this is what's going on. Well, then a guy by the name of Philip shows up and begins to preach Jesus. People start getting saved. They start getting baptized. Things are happening. There's miracles. There's healings. People are being delivered, stuff that's going on. And then finally, Simon is convinced, and he gets saved. He gets saved, and the revival grows so big at this point that uh, basically John and Peter are called, and uh, they come down to the city where they're at, and the first thing they do in this revival, because apparently it had not yet been done, is they prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall on them. It says, for it as yet had not fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that, saw that through laying on, of hands the apostle, laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So here's this guy. Simon, he's, he, he had been a, a witch doctor, a warlock, whatever you want to call him. He was into witchcraft. He'd been pretty powerful. So this is a guy that's impressed with power. This is a guy used to seeing things happen by invoking a name or an incantation or a spell. So far, so good? So now he comes and Jesus is preached to him. Somehow, in the midst of all of this, he's convinced that Jesus is Lord. He surrenders his, his life to Jesus, but he's still a young convert. He hadn't grown yet much. John and, and Peter come on the scene, 
and they're praying for this revival, they're praying for the people, and their concern is at this point to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on all these people, and Simon is blown away. And he comes to them, and he says, man, I'll give you all the money I got to you guys give me this power. Now, he's obviously approaching this very wrong. This is not good. The Holy Spirit is not for sale. All of those things. But what this points to is something happened that demonstrated Holy Spirit was there. Are you hearing me? And it seems logical for me to assume that they, he had heard them speak in tongues. Now, I know this is an assumption, but if what Simon saw was some other sign, one of the other gifts at work, I think that it probably would have been mentioned. Because nowhere do we see that in Scripture when the other signs, other than the one in Acts 19, it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. That's the only other gift that's mentioned in conjunction with the baptism as a, as a demonstration in the moment. Okay? So I think just like in 19, they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and if Simon would have saw them working in miracles or, or walking in faith or giving a word of knowledge or be discerning of spirits, that would have been mentioned because that is the form and the pattern of Scripture. Are you hearing me? Then we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, once again, this is a mentioning of a baptism, but this is actually a re-baptism. Because these are the same people that got baptized on the day of Pentecost. They had been working in the city. They had been doing things. They're seeing things happen. They come into a prayer meeting, and they said, Father, please fill us again. And God fills them again. There is a re-baptism. So, one, so it, there's a refilling. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean for us that we need to be refilled? I don't know, know that we need to be refilled so much as we need to be refreshed. Are you hearing me? So we could speak in tongues, but even in the midst of our operation of the gifts, we can, we can wax a little bit cold in it. It can become a little routine. And I think what happens is we need to have the freshness of the Spirit. So this is what I believe this scripture is talking about, is there is a refreshing, not so much a re-equipping, but a refreshing of what is already there. So these are people that are already speaking in tongues. Then the next verse that deals with the baptism, is in, uh, without the evidence, is Acts 9.17, and it says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laid his hands on him, saying, Brother Saul, this is Paul that's getting saved, or he had been saved and now he's in this place. Uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we obviously know that happened because he got his sight, 
No doubt that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but this verse does not say that Paul spoke with tongues. However, it is certain from Paul's own testimony that he spoke in tongues. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, it says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. He had a little southern Israel going on there. And so, inevitably, he spoke with tongues. Now, as we really consider this subject of the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, there are four things that should be considered. Number one, in the Bible's first and last account of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so in Acts chapter 2 is the first account of the baptism. Acts 19, last account of the baptism in the, in the record. People received the baptism, spoke with tongues, first and last. The second thing is, in every story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where a sign is mentioned, it was tongues that was mentioned. Now, we know there are stories where tongues is not mentioned, but every time a gift is mentioned, it is tongues mentioned. Okay? Number three, when the Bible doesn't speak of a sign there is still an implied evidence of tongues, like in the case of Simon, in the case of Paul, and in the case of the the believers that had been refreshed. There is an implication that it's there. Number four, the uniqueness of tongues in comparison to any other gift is one of the primary reasons it is the sign of the Holy Spirit infilling. All of the gifts of the Spirit seem to be, have been manifested in the Old Testament times with the exception of speaking in other tongues or the interpretation of tongues. You can find examples of prophecy, obviously, in the Old Testament. You can find examples of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, faith, working of miracles, healings. You can find all of that in the Old Testament, and they are specific places. In fact, Some of them will even say a spirit of wisdom fell upon Joshua, okay? And so we see these other gifts, but what happened is God is doing a new thing at Pentecost, something that no one had ever experienced before, and the sign that accompanies this new thing was also something that no one ever witnessed before. And consequently, speaking in tongues is, was then, and is now, a very significant and powerful sign. Now, there's some points to consider as we bring this to a close, and we're going to open up for questions. Speaking in tongues is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the evidence of it. Okay? Because there are people that speak in false, but that's a whole another study. Remember, the devil is a master counterfeit. Number two, we should not seek the gifts, we should seek the baptism. Now, I know, I even wrestled that when I wrote it down. There is a scripture that says that you should seek after and pursue the gifts. But I believe that the spirit of that is pursuing Holy Spirit, who is the author of the gifts, knowing that you can't have the gifts without him. Okay, the problem with our generation 
is oftentimes we pursue the gifts with no consideration of him, of his work, of what he's doing. We just want to look good. And as we have seen, tongues is in fact the most common evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is the pattern of Scripture, and it is the first mention, the principle of first mention as an evidence. But as we close, I want to say it again. We should never limit God, nor should we ever put God in a dogmatic or Holy Spirit in a dogmatic box, because sometimes we just don't know. Does that make sense? So I think we have to exercise wisdom. There's no doubt that Scripture bears out that tongues is a major part of this and that oftentimes it is the accompanying uh, evidence. It is the primary evidence. There is no doubt that most people that get filled with the Holy Ghost testify at some point in their experience they speak in tongues. No doubt about it. All of that's true. But when we become dogmatic and we go, that's it, that's the only thing, only thing, only thing, we put God in a box, and God's going to say, well, I'm going to probably do something to blow your mind. Not that he violates his word, because he don't, because he's got eight other gifts he can use. <laughs> it ain't a violation. He's just not going to be put in a box. So Jason, once again, I don't know where he's at. Jason has the microphone, and uh, I'm going to open up for some questions. If you have questions... Jason will come right to you with the microphone. The reason we do this is so that those online can hear you and everyone in the room can hear you clearly. Anybody got a question? Yes, ma'am. Right up here, Jason. Hang on one second. Let Jason get up here. I know it takes a little bit, so. <laughs> kind, of put, kind of makes you feel like you're on the spot. Everybody's looking at you. Right. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> He's not wearing any sneakers. That's why. That's right. I had to kick off the same thing. I have Go to ahead. say it out loud. How do you know that if you're speaking in tongues, that if it is from God and not from Satan? Well, that's a great question. I think that, once again, the, 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 the proof of that is, goes back to the corresponding spirit. In other words, Jesus said you know them by their fruit. You, when, you, when you have an encounter with God, it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable, God, first of all, God always works in love, always. Second of, second of all, uh, God always, always validates his word. God always, always, always works in grace, okay? All these things are at work, and there is the, the, the discerning of spirit, if you will, or the understanding or the sense that, in fact, I am speaking, this is, this is God at work. This is God at work in me. If it, if it moves into a false thing, which I don't believe, I believe people actually have to seek that out. In other words, I don't think that happens by accident. Those kinds of, because God, this is too precious to God. And so people have to... I've always heard that if you put Jesus Christ in there, why is speaking in tongues, which I do, that's going to stay with God. Right. Because that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and... and you are not going to drift. You will not drift between tongues that are Holy Spirit and any kind of copycat. You won't drift. It's not like, oh, man, am I getting over here? No. 
you won't. That's, that, that's something else altogether. Somebody else? Harry, I got your hand up. Or, or Alex, I'm sorry. Just in reference to that, uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is saying in verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And so yeah. our confidence in asking for the Holy Spirit or the gifting of the Holy Spirit is that God's a good dad and he's not going to give us. And he specifically says above that, he likens uh, the father, uh, fathers, earthly fathers that he won't give a, um, uh, if the son asks for a fish, he won't give him a serpent, that kind of thing. So if we specifically ask the father for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give us something weird. Yeah, exactly. That's Harry was going to say that as well. Thank God for those guys. Somebody else? Somebody else got a question? Going once? Going twice? Sure. Well, Jason, coming to you, you're but the one that wanted the microphone. You. I was a Methodist preacher, and I was taught the Holy Spirit wasn't real and uh, in school and my whole upbringing. And this basketball coach began to share I needed the Holy Spirit with me. And so uh, we went to the Christian church of all places, me and two other preachers. And he said, I'm going to lay hands on and pray that you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues. So me being as humble as I always have been, I said, pray for those two guys first. And so when he's praying for them, I, I knelt down, and I, I was always in my background saying, this is not for us. And I said to God, God, if this is from you and it's real, give me a Holy Spirit. And, and all of a sudden, I begin to speak in tongues. And so if he can fill me and give me that, he, he's got it for everybody. Amen. Amen. Right behind you, Jay. Just going back to her question, um, and in Corinthians, First Corinthians twelve three, it says that no man speaking by the Spirit of God can call Jesus accursed, or that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I was always under Amen. the impression that when you're speaking in tongues, that you can't say anything wrong. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Somebody else question? Yes, ma'am. Hang on, hang on, let. Well, that, here, bring, bring the mic up. Are you going to be um, in the services showing more movement, of calling upon the Spirit to move upon us and laying out on the hands and yes, well, slain in the Spirit and yeah, stuff? Yeah, so the, the goal of all of this is, first of all, to teach and set a good foundation right. so that we can contend for presence the presence of God, presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We want him. And, and I know this is almost going to sound like I'm kind of copping out on it. I am not. I, I want whatever he does. Right. Okay. It's so, because the reason is, is because there, there's a lot of controversy. You know, and I'm not going to get into all that. I've already got myself in trouble tonight. Right. And so, uh, the, the, but the, the point is, is we, our church is not going to seek for signs. 
That's not what we're doing. No. We're seeking for him. We want him. And whatever he decides to do, absolutely. So our job is to set a platform. Mm -hmm. And so part of setting a platform is to make sure that our congregation is taught the truth of the word of God. Mm -hmm. So we know what this is all about so that we're confident and that we know the word of God and that we contend and that we desire his presence, mm -hmm. desire the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then part of the also the setting the platform is for the ministers, the people that are in charge of the service, to be sensitive to his moving so that if he does move, whether it's in a still small voice, because I've been in services where there's been a, what we call a holy hush, and it's like, whoa, man, just that's remarkable. Uh, and then I've been in services where there's been a very, very uh, large demonstration of his power where you're like, whoa, you know, and so to say we are going to go one direction or another seeking something, I don't want to give that. What I want to say is I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for Holy Spirit. And if he's a still small voice today, praise God. If he's lightning flying across the, the ceiling, I'm for it, as long as it's him. But to do that, we've, we've, we've got to know the scripture. And so to answer your question, yes, we are setting a platform, doing that, contending. I'm contending in prayer for that, believing God, because I believe that the Holy Spirit is key to transformation. Right. And, and so that's part of our vision is grace, hope, and transformation. Yeah, and so a couple of years ago you had someone here for a service and uh, people we were slain in the spirit yes yeah and and so from time to time we you don't see it so much on sunday no. um but like our breakthrough services we get out and we we pray for people and and we do that and people will be slain in the spirit and and different things will happen and there's more of a a presence in that and so on our sunday services you know there's there's considerations of everyone that's in the room but saying that is we are a church that is a I, I don't necessarily like the label Pentecostal because it it's too broad but spirit-filled spirit-filled with the Holy Spirit moving and so on Sunday mornings I want him moving as well but he can move through the Word of God. He can move through preaching. He can move through the worship. He can move through altar call. And so, yes, we are heading into that kind of realm, but so that it's him. Does that make sense? Yes. We definitely get filled with your messages. Amen. Praise God. You got one? Oh. Yeah. We'll get you in just a second. It says that um, where the Spirit gives utterance, and a lot of people are sort of intimidated by that statement because they say, well, how do I know I should speak in tongues? But the Spirit speaks upon your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And praying in tongues is edifying your spirit. It's praying to God. It's making your spirit strong in Him. Mm -hmm. And so when you feel well, how do I know that I'm going to have an utterance as he wills? Well, it's according to your faith, too, I believe, mm -hmm. that when you feel led, you feel that unction in you, you feel that power rising up in you, then the Spirit is saying, okay, yeah. speak, because yeah. unless you open your mouth, he's not going to speak. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so, Jason, all the way in the back, this young man, raise your hand again. Is that Chandler? Yeah. 
Uh, Chandler, do you have a question? Okay, go, go to Chandler. So just to uh, speak to that just for a second, I, I absolutely believe that. So one of the things that we have to understand, and we're going to get into this in, in probably next week a little bit. So there is a difference the way Holy Spirit works with an individual in, my, in your private life and then what the Holy Spirit works in corporate life, in the body. And so there are uh, uh, different things that happen. So, so like, for instance, just to kind of give maybe a little cat out of the bag. So when I'm in my private prayer time by myself, I don't always feel a big move of anointing or unction or like I don't have this big flood of something that makes me pray in tongues. Uh, the Bible says the gift is subject to the... How does, how does this gift subject to the giver? Or, in other words, if God gives me a bike, it's my responsibility to ride it. Okay, I'm not saying that right, so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it right. But, so in other words, I have this gift of tongues, and I can use it at will. And so in my private life, when I'm praying, I can speak in tongues, and I do that. I don't always feel a big unction. But now when I'm in the corporate setting... This is, now we're dealing with something completely different where I'm addressing. See, like if I, for instance, if I stood up here and just spoke in tongues, unless there's an interpreter, um, especially if I'm addressing you, I, I, if, if I should pray that I interpret or that I know there's an interpreter because that will be unfruitful for you. It'll edify me, but it'll be unfruitful for you. And so there, there's dynamics in that that are a little bit different. And, and so that, that's where you get into Romans uh, for, uh, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, and start talking about those things. So you are right, faith and all of those things work, and then feeling that unction and that thing rise, but usually those things are often more in corporate settings. In private settings, we could still have those feelings, but we are a lot more in control of it there in the sense of when I say control, gosh, I'm messing up my words today. We're a lot more responsible just to have a relationship with him and just walk in it. Okay, Chandler. Um, I got a question about the um, baptism. Hey, you came to the right place. Um, I um, the baptism. I don't understand what that actually means. Okay. Because I'm really not. I am. I just want to. I want to know what that means exactly, what exactly that's in my heart. And when you, uh, when you want to know what that means, or you want to know what the word baptism means? Yes. Baptism means to be immersed or surrounded. So the best way, or uh, yeah, submerged is another one. So the best way I can, can tell you is if I have a cup, I have a bottle, it has water in it. That's one thing. If I take the bottle and I put it underwater, that's a whole nother thing. Baptism is putting the bottle underwater. It's not just filling it, it's surrounding it. Does that make sense? Okay. One more question and then we'll move on. Anybody else? Got a question? Comment? True confession. I'm writing a book. <laughs> not really. Yeah, um, I, I need to move on, so I'll get with you right after. Here. Let me just talk with you after. Right here. Okay. I uh, came home in my car after hearing a concert, a concert, and a, and a 
Pentecostal church with two friends of mine. And I parked my car, and I spoke in the Holy Spirit for 30 minutes, Praise and it God. was the most glorious thing I ever, ever felt. In the morning, <laughs> I said, do I still have it? <laughs> and I spoke another 10 minutes. Praise God. So it's real. <laughs> Amen. And, and the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So he doesn't give us something and then take it away. So, so. All right, we're going to close uh, tonight and let you get out of here and go home. Uh, appreciate you. Appreciate your questions. Appreciate your patience. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Father, we pray that you would just uh, saturate this. God, cause it to penetrate our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.